Well, good morning. It's great to see you all uh, this morning, and it's my privilege once again to uh, preach from the, the book of Acts. If you're visiting today, we're, we're going through, we have been going through uh, a series in Acts for, for some months now, and we're in the, the third missionary journey. And I thought this morning I'd like to uh, do two things. And uh, we're going to look at uh, two aspects of the third missionary journey. You know, last week we, we discovered a little bit about Apollos and about the way he came to a, a town called Ephesus. And uh, he was aided by Priscilla and Aquila who took him aside and said, hey, you need to really understand a little bit more about God's grace. You need to place that as part of... Uh, of your teaching. And uh, as uh, Apollos moved out of Ephesus and went on to Corinth, uh, Paul passed into the the region of Ephesus and uh, he came across 12 disciples of John. And these disciples had not received the Holy Spirit. They weren't saved. And uh, Paul proclaimed to them the good news of Christ. And uh, they received the Spirit of God and and they moved into, into Ephesus, into the synagogue primarily. And, and uh, in that synagogue, they, they taught for about three months until a bit of agitation occurred. The Jews didn't like hearing what was being said about Jesus. They didn't like hearing about the Messiah who had come. And they made it pretty difficult for Paul and these disciples. So they moved themselves from the synagogue in Ephesus to the school of uh, Tyrannius and continued daily. Don't forget that point. They continued daily in this school to proclaim the Christ. So that's like going to church every day. Would you rejoice in that? Oh, good. <laughs> that's not what I was expecting to hear. <laughs> But this is, um, this is what is uh, what's happening in this culture. They go and they, they are, they're taught on a daily basis. So in today's uh, chapters, we're going to look at the book barbecue. And we're going to look at saying goodbye when it's so hard. I was going to sing the song, you know, um, saying goodbye is so hard to do, but I, I won't. But they're the two things that, that we will be looking at today. The book barbecue and saying goodbye is so hard to do. So if you could turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 19. And we'll pick up the story. You see, last week I talked to you a little bit about Ephesus. Primarily, the, the, the third missionary journey of Paul is, is centered on this town. The city, actually, 350,000 strong. And we know a little bit about Ephesus. Paul actually later writes a letter to them, a wonderful letter. And we also read John warns them in Revelation not to leave their first love. So Ephesus became a real hub for the spread of the gospel throughout the region, the Gentile region. As mentioned last week, this, this place had a temple there, the temple of Artemis one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. And in that temple, they, they worshipped this goddess Artemis. She was a, a nature goddess and she was uh, associated with carnal fertility rituals. 
and religious prostitution. She was worshipped as the daughter of Zeus and the twin sister of Apollo. She was described as uh, the goddess of the moon and, and of hunting and is generally portrayed as a huntress with dogs in attendance. Their form is described well in the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia, and this is how they describe it. Uh, her form was a strange female augmented figure, uh, a shrine and a basket on her head, a veil decorated with beasts, long necklaces, embroidered sleeves, uh, legs with impaneled animals on them, uh, multiple breasts, and, and uh, some suggest an apron covered with clusters of grapes and dates. So it's, she was a pagan god, and this whole town would worship at this place. And many travelers would come to this place to, to worship this false god. So naturally, the city was awash with idolatry. Absolutely awash with idolatry. You could walk down the streets of the city and, and buy your little silver statue of Artemis. So you could remember why you had been there and you could go and worship her when you went home. It is also a very profitable city because east met west here. The, the, the Roman roads met at this place. It was a very fertile plain. There was lots of produce, lots of uh, tourism, lots of trades associated, especially with the, the worship of Artemis. The temple itself was a commercial entity, a bit like a modern-day bank. That's what it was like. You'd go and you could trade money. Because the world was meeting at this place, they would trade their money so they could go and, and worship. And the city was dominated by trades that were associated with the worship of this goddess, i.e. silversmiths, i.e. moneylenders, i.e. these sorts of things. The city was incredibly prosperous. And it was prosperous because of its trade on idol worship and tourism. Does that sound like any modern-day city to you? Can you think about some modern-day cities that are like that? Vegas, perhaps. Worship may not be idols, but the worship is the love of money and trying to get a quick buck. But closer to home, perhaps, the Gold Coast. I'll pick on the Gold Coast. An incredible tourist centre where maybe worship is akin to the beach, the sand, the relaxing nature of, of that environment, etc. You see, you look at ancient Ephesus and you see many modern-day equivalents. And that's why these lessons we can learn from Paul, particularly in this journey, are so important for us today. Let's read Acts. Let's read Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 11. 
And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And they fell upon them all, and, and the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Can you imagine the setting here? Paul has, has been in and around Ephesus for a large period of time. Notice who is doing the healing. God is doing the healing through Paul. God is the one who is granting to Paul extraordinary miracles to affirm his apostleship, to affirm that he was a messenger of God. And these are so extraordinary that he could have just a hanky or they think they were sweat cloths. He was a tent maker, right? So he'd be making tents and, and he would have sweat cloths on his body to wipe his hands and things in the heat of the day as he would make his tent. A bit like a tennis player with a headband or a wristband. A bit like that. And they were taking these things and there was God granted power for for people to touch these things and they were healed. That is supernatural. That is only an act of God. It's not an act of man. And God was doing it to authenticate Paul as his man, as an apostle, as a foundation stone of the church. And that's what happened. And you see, because of the nature of this city, because of the, the, the gross idolatry and the, the sorcery and the, and the magic that went on, some Jews, seven of them, thought, this doesn't look like a bad sort of scheme. I think we could become prophets for profit. I think if we could try and, and uh, do the same sorts of things by the name of Jesus, then actually this could be very profitable. It was a no contest. Anybody who ends up naked and wounded and fleeing from the scene is a no contest. Even the demon knew that these guys were fake. They were frauds. 
They said, yeah, Jesus, I know. Notice the different terms here in verse 15. He says, I know Jesus. I know the power of Jesus. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? That's quite an incredible statement, isn't it? These guys are trying to endure uh, and incite these healing rites upon somebody and excise this demon and the demon knows that there's no power in what he does. There is only power in the name of Jesus. And we see that because the result of this is remarkable. We see this little scene here. We see the authentication of Paul and his apostleship, his ability to heal. And then we have this result. This, the story spreads. Hey, this evil spirit jumped out of this man upon these men, these seven men, and they fleed. They were defeated. And the response by Jews and Greeks was they fell upon their own faces and the name of Jesus was extolled. That is the only proper response when you see a miracle of God. That Christ's name is lifted high. Not the healer's name. That Christ is lifted high. We talked about this last week because that's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to what? Glorify Him. The work of the Spirit is to glorify His name. And that's displayed here. And then the further result is many came. Many came. Many believers came. Notice that. And they had a book barbecue. They were convicted by the fact that their faith in Christ, something had to change because they were still involved in practices of the occult, still involved in magic. They still had books in their presence which were designed for them to do certain things. But the Spirit of God grabbed hold of their hearts and they laid these things in a bonfire and they burned them. They removed themselves from the temptation of that practice. Why? Because they came face to face with the Lordship of Christ. And as a result, as a result of this cleansing and this refining, we see the word of the Lord increasing mightily. This is not new in the book of Acts. Every time there's persecution, every time there's refining, what happens? God's word spreads. God's word grabs hold of people's hearts and they change. As I considered this small story, it convicted me deeply. 
on a couple of accounts. One of the things in my life that I hold on to that stop me from serving Christ. What are the things in your life that stop you from wholeheartedly serving Christ? What practices, if you like, if you put in these terms, do you hold on to that become a block in your service to him? I can't answer that question for you. I can make some suggestions about what those things may be. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's the issue of pornography. Maybe it's the issue of materialism. I appeal to you this morning. Put them on the barbecue. Burn them under submission to the Lordship of Christ. Make a list if you have to. Because the Lord promises that through His Spirit and by His grace, He'll give us victory over these things. I just think for too long we we just stay in the mire. We want one foot in both camps. Jesus calls us to have allegiance to him and him alone. He calls us to have allegiance to him and him alone. One of, the, uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing as we move forward to the next part of this journey, I enjoy going to the airport. Right? Who enjoys going to the airport here outside the 55-minute f- drive from here to Tallamarine in the middle of the day? I enjoy going to the airport, especially if I hold a ticket. Okay, I especially enjoy going to the airport if I've got a ticket because I've got a destination to go to. And also I enjoy going to the airport if I'm picking up somebody I love. Somebody that I haven't seen for a while. And uh, that's, that's also a joy. But one of the things I do when I arrive at an airport, whether it's in departures or in arrivals, I really enjoy looking at people. I really enjoy scanning around the crowd and, and watching reactions. Does anybody else do this or am I just weird in this? All right. I'm glad we all do this, right? This is a good thing. Because the airport is a place of great emotion, isn't it? You have great emotion when you're farewelling somebody that you love. Like if Shabu was to travel, I'd be in absolute tears of joy. No, tears as in the departure lounge. Because, oh, where will I see you again, Shabu? 
But you know, that, that is a sense of emotion that we have. You see all forms of emotion. And as we read what I have counted the, the final farewell of Paul to the Ephesian elders, you get a sense of this deep emotion. And I think we can learn some wonderful lessons from this account. So I think we shall stand as we read Acts chapter 20. It's a long portion, so if you don't want to stand, that's okay, but I'd like you to stand. And I'd like you to place yourself. You are the Ephesian elders. Okay, you may not feel very elderly, but for, for this particular exercise, you are these brothers that I, Paul, have called to my latest. I've served with you for three years. I'm not going to see you again. I've helped birth the church. I've been a foundation of this church and this community. And I want to pass on to you some encouragement. So let's read. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and now behold I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again Therefore, I testify or I affirm to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. See, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your very own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you. 
to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, for you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him down to the ship. This is where we're talking at this point in time. Paul was at Ephesus. He traveled up through this region here. He sailed past Ephesus, came down to this little place here called Miletus. This is where he called the Ephesian elders. Now, it's about a day's walk from Ephesus through to here. So uh, they had to make some effort to get there. But this is where we're sitting in the third missionary journey, and then he heads off down to Jerusalem. I'll leave that up there for your references also in your, in your newsletter. I've been deeply impacted as I've read through these final words of Paul to these elders. It's deeply significant some of the things he says and I'll just give you a brief overview but I'd really encourage you to, to, to pour over the scripture because you see the heart of the apostle. You see his heart and his desire and, and uh, we can break up this, these final words into, into several sections. Firstly, we see that he testifies to the fact that he, he will not and does not shrink away from declaring to them everything that was profitable in teaching and in testifying. Put a circle around those words. He, he did not shrink away. What does it mean to shrink away? He did not hold back. He did not hesitate. It was his whole purpose and his ministry and his life to declare the glories of Christ and his grace. You see, he served them. He served them for three years. This is the longest, most extended stay by Paul in the New Testament. He spent time with these men in Ephesus and with the church. And he served with humility. He served with tears. They saw and, and were involved in trials together because persecution was occurring predominantly from the Jewish legalists. And even though these things were happening, verse 20 says, I did not shrink from the task. 
my sole focus was to be with you, to ensure that you were growing in your faith. What a wonderful testimony of service. What a wonderful testimony of a man after God's own heart. If you notice in in these verses from verse 18 down to verse 27, you see the nice little book in there. Verse 20 says, I did not shrink from declaring to you. And then he summarizes everything between them. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So this is his heart for ministry. He did not consider his life precious. He was encapsulated by what he had received from the Lord on the road to Damascus. If you go back to chapter 9, you can read that. He proclaimed and he pronounced repentance and faith in Christ. Verse 21. And he testified to the gospel of grace in Christ. If you go over to the book of Ephesians, we won't do it because of lack of time, but if you read through Ephesians chapter 3, you'll get a mirror into Paul's heart when it comes to what the gospel of grace means to him. I'd encourage you to go there this week. Read through Ephesians chapter 3 and see the impact of God's grace in Paul's life. Notice here the the often repeated word testify. Verse 21, testifying both the Jews and Greeks. Verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Verse 24, I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 26, therefore I testify, or probably should be affirmed to you this day. What does testify mean? It means to make a solemn declaration about the truth of something. And that's what Paul did. He made a solemn declaration whenever he had opportunity about the truth of the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know and do you experience that grace? Do you know what it means to be freed from your sin? Do you know the absolute joy it is to walk through the power of the Spirit and the grace of God. You know how freeing that is? We don't have to keep a whole bunch of rules to be holy. God provides that to us through His grace. Christ's righteousness righteousness is put onto us. And that's the way God sees us. And our salvation is by God's grace. By grace you are saved. It is a gift of God. You can't do anything to work for your salvation. By the way, you can't do anything to work for your sanctification either. It's all by God's grace. 
and he testifies to this. Again, again, and again. He makes a solemn declaration about this truth that it's God's grace and only God's grace that saves. Let us preach no other gospel. It's by grace you are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the gospel. It's not grace plus something. It's not grace plus sign gifts. It's not grace plus speaking in tongues. It's not grace plus a whole bunch of works. It's God's grace and grace alone. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I have here when I I consider Paul's wonderful testimony What do I do? Do I hold back on telling people about this grace? You know, we've been looking right through Acts and we know that one of the wonderful things here is to you are to be my witnesses. So do you hold back when it comes to de- declaring, teaching and testifying to God's grace? These are the three things here, aren't they? Declare, teach, and testify. Testify is a hugely personal thing. And I'm sure every one of us in this room could testify to God's grace in our lives. If you can, tell someone about it. You have general grace and you have specific grace. The whole of the world could testify to God's grace and that we have air in our lungs. But you have specific grace. God's grace has saved you. You have eternal life. You have an inheritance. What wonderful things. You see, whenever whatever Paul was to face, he did not consider his life as being of ultimate value. This astounds me. He did not consider his life of being of any value. His only desire was to accomplish the course or the race that the Lord Jesus had called him to. He consistently testifies to the content of God's grace and to the impact of the gospel in his life. It's wonderful. He, he does not need to be certain about where he's going. Notice that? He doesn't need to be certain about where he's going. He says, I think the Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem, and I know there's going to be persecution. And as we read through Acts, he goes to Jerusalem and ends up in Rome. He's not concerned about the certainty of where he's going or what he will face. But he is certain about the fact that wherever he may be, God's grace is with him. And that's the same for us. That's a principle we can learn. No matter what our station in life, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what the persecution, if you're a follower of Christ, God's grace is with you. He is faithful to see you through. 
I want to encourage you in that because sometimes it feels so he's not. But God, in his grace, because it's part of his eternal character, will see you through. If he's promised it, I believe it. If he has promised it, I believe it. And if I don't believe it, I ask him to give me belief. If you're struggling with those things, cry out to the Lord and ask, help me to believe. Give me the faith to understand. Give me the faith to understand. And then he turns directly and he addresses these men, these elders, these overseers, these shepherds. And he gives them two commands. Two quite simple commands, verse 28 and verse 31. Pay careful attention is the first command. And the second command is be alert. And both these commands are in the present. So it's a, a continued action. Right? Always pay attention. Always be alert. This is the what he's trying to get across to these men who are shepherding the flock. And he says, firstly, pay careful attention to yourself. Pay careful attention to yourself and then to all the flock. Any role of leadership, you must start with you and the Spirit working in your heart, and the Spirit working in your life. Confess regularly. Rely on God's grace consistently. Pay careful attention to your thought life, to your prayer life, to your reading life, to your spiritual disciplines. Pay careful attention to the whole counsel of God of which I have proclaimed to you for three years. Pay careful attention to the doctrine that you have been taught. Pay careful attention to yourself and then to your flock. Notice who makes someone a leader or an overseer here. It is the Spirit of God. Who leads the church of Jesus Christ? Christ is the head of the church. Through his Spirit, he appoints leaders. That hasn't changed. That's transcultural. The Spirit of God appoints overseers to primarily care to shepherd the church of God. Why? Because this church, this body, we are redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. This is precious in his sight. And as leaders and overseers, we need to see that the flock is precious. And then he gives warnings within this careful attention, pay careful attention because two things will happen. Fierce wolves will come. They're coming from the outside and they will try and they'll not spare the flock. Has anyone here ever seen a wolf attack something? Anyone seen that? On telly? Come on, Discovery. Who's got Discovery? You would have seen wolves attacking animals. Animal planet. A wolf takes no 
backward step. When a wolf wants to ravage something, when a wolf wants to get himself something to eat, you're focused. You'll rip that other animal apart. This is the language Paul is using about false teachers. Their desire is to rip your faith away from your bones. And boy, they can be subtle. But their desire is not to spare you. So pay careful attention to them and then pay careful attention to the ones that will rise up from within your own church. Men who will speak twisted things. To twist in this sense and context is to cause you to depart from an accepted standard of oral or spiritual value. So pay careful attention. Even though this is initially given to elders and overseers of the flock, this is applicable to all of us. In your Christian walk, in your walk before the Lord, pay careful attention to wolves who want to try and get in under your skin, to tear the meat off the bone, who try and twist things that's not aligned with the whole counsel of God. So how do we know what those things are? You test them with Scripture. You test them with Scripture. You may hear one thing. You may hear another thing. You say, oh, that sounds sort of okay. Test it with Scripture. If you don't know how to test it with Scripture, find someone who can help you. That's what shepherds, that's what elders, that's what pastors are for in this context. So that's the first command. The second command here is in 31, be alert. Be alert. Pay careful attention and be alert. And the basis of being alert is remembrance. He says, remember the things I've showed you in God's word. Consistently be refined by the whole counsel of God. Because I use God's word day and night for three years to admonish everyone with tears. Admonish is a wonderful word. Not that we like being admonished, but here it is a refining, it's a, it's a pruning. It's the Greek word called nuthetiko. You may have heard of nuthetic counseling, which uh, they take from this text. And it means to counsel about avoidance or to cease an improper course of action. And that's what Paul did. He, he would counsel and he'd say, I want you to avoid these things. I want you to cease these courses of action. I want you not to be entrapped by the, the culture in which you live, you Ephesians. I don't want you to be entrapped by the, the magic and the sorcery and the books on your shelves. I want you to avoid these things. I want you to avoid the things of the world that are impinging upon your faith. And here is the proper course of action. 
And this is deeply emotional because as he would counsel, as he would teach as, for these three years, as he would declare the whole counsel of God, he was doing it with tears. Notice that? He has a deep care and love for his people. A deep care and love for his people. From an elder overseer perspective, do you have a deep care and love for your people? As part of the flock, do you have a deep care and love for your elders and overseers? Are you happy to be admonished? Are you happy to be set on a course of action that is centered around God's word and his counsel? These are challenges from here. From an application perspective, what do you need to pay attention to yourselves? What do you need to pay attention? What is mirroring your view on the glorious gospel of grace? What do you need to be alert to? What are the things that you need to consistently put into your hearts and minds so you can serve the Lord? And finally, we have a commendation. Verse 32. He commends them to a couple of things. He firstly commends them to God. I know I've commanded these things, but I want to commend you. I want to entrust you to the safekeeping of these things. That's what the word means. It's to entrust. It's, it's a, a beautiful, soft term. I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace. That's Paul summing up these entire few verses. These are the things I want you to know and understand, even though you're paying careful attention, even though you're being alert, even though you've heard of my testimony, of my continuedness to declare, to teach, and to testify to you the gospel of grace. I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace. Why? Because these things are the things that will build you up. These things will help you. These things will improve your ability to function in living responsibly and effectively. These things will strengthen you. They will make you more able. That's what he's getting at. I want you to be equipped. I want you to understand that it's God's grace and God's grace of his word alone. Because these things will build you up and they also will give you an inheritance. And then he gives a general, just a, a really quick summary. And he talks about the fact that I have not been greedy in my desire for you. I've worked hard with my own hands, so it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then we have this final emotional finish where much weeping occurs 
These elders embrace him. They kiss him. They're sorrowful. This sorrowfulness is a emotional distress. It's experiencing mental and physical pain. I've seen some of that as I've been at the airport when people leave. I understand this. They did not want him to go because of the impact he had on their lives. And they departed down to the ship. It is a wonderful final farewell. And we have a lot to learn from this. See, out of a genuine understanding comes discernment, and I think that's what he's getting at here. If you understand the gospel of grace, you will discern wisely. You'll discern where there are wolves. You'll discern where there's a tax. You'll discern when there's a false message and he's primarily trying to protect the integrity of the gospel he does not want the gospel to be undercut he wants these men to realize that God is with them and the word of his grace is with them You must keep an eye out for yourself. But God is our guide that will lead us to Him. We won't sing our final song. I'll just um, close in prayer. If you, as you've thought through this, if you've got things before the Lord you need to confess, you've got books you need to burn on that barbecue do it I'll give you time to do that just in silent prayer but I commend to you God and the word of his grace and his counsel don't shrink, don't hold back from declaring him and realize it's his work in your life that enables you to do so So I'll just start, you've got a minute or so of silent prayer and then I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instruction from your word. Father, we thank you that when we put our faith and trust in you, you are with us. We thank you that the power of the gospel message, the grace of the gospel message is the catalyst for our lives. We pray that you'll continually impact our hearts through your spirit so that we do pay attention, so that we are alert And that we are built up, realizing that you have given us an inheritance that is beyond our imagination. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for the power of the gospel message. We pray you'll enrich us today with these thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.